Well, as we start today, turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and it says a little back, backdrop. This week I, week I was reading an article, <clears throat> and uh, it was an article about a young lady who was asked, asked to step down from, from her youth leadership role um, because she had come out. And her and her family, they were very shocked, very confused that they would be asked to, you know, to, to step down. And they were, you know, she was deemed disqualified. And the question is, well, you know, why are they confused? Why don't they understand? Why is the church confused? Why would the church be confused as to what are requirements for leadership, basic requirements? Um, and it's because we... We don't study them. It's because we're not really in God's word. And for lack of, of a better term, we're, we're winging it. We're modeling the world. We're looking at the world's business structure. We're looking at the world's, you know, maybe how Boy Scouts does it or something like that. And, and we're looking to the world as a design for leadership, headship, organization. Even within our church, there's certain things that we have to do legally, which honestly, can be frustrating. You know, we, we have to do certain things legally, abide by our 501c3 nonprofit status. Those aren't, aren't Christian or spiritual things we have to do. Those are legal things as a, as a church. But let's not be confused. Uh, just because we have to obey some of those things, that doesn't mean that we function like the world, or I, I hope not like, you know, our government, Right? Um, and so what, what, what we're finding today is, and, and I'm talking about in the church specifically, there's just a lot, of, a, a lot of confusion. And, you know, one of the problems is, well, okay, so, <clears throat> you know, we have men as leaders, right? And, and, and men are, are sinful. Men sin. There's no, no perfect male. There's no perfect leaders. So all male leaders are sinners, so, you know what? Don't worry about your leaders being sinners because all men sin. And, and it's a very cavalier approach to uh, dignity, to leadership. And so, essentially, it, it's drawn to the lowest common denominator. And so, the fallacy there is, well, because no man can be perfect, let's not even expect. Let's not even have any, any expectations of... Of, of what, you know, above reproach or, you know, spiritual headship looks like. Well, the problem with that is, is the Bible's very specific. And the Bible lays out a, a, a framework for the quote-unquote uh, man of God to actually be a man of God. Which means his pursuit is to be holy, is to be perfect, is to follow Jesus. The beautiful thing about about Christianity is it's a it's a combination of this amazing and it is amazing grace the the whole concept of of grace is is unbelievable it's unfathomable you you just can't explain how somebody who can willfully defy God and his law can be graciously forgiven of no merit of his own not by service not by preaching, not by payment. It's grace. It's a free gift. But there's grace and truth, which is God's word, and there's law, and there's obedience, 
and there's structure. And so we must and we're called to do both. And, and so one of the other problems we, we find is, well, can we really can we really trust this document? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is, you know, it was written a long time ago. These were different times. This is the, the context for what's happening today is is it's it's just not relevant. And so we've learned that all scripture is profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. Every single page of God's word is God's word. It's it's God-breathed. And so we trust God's word. We follow God's word. It is God's word. It's it's not Moses' word. It's not Paul's word. It's not Luke's word. It is God who wrote through men through the divine power of the Holy Spirit. It's God's word. And so we obey it. We submit to it. He is the absolute moral being of the universe. The absolute moral being gave absolutes, absolute law, absolute standards that we absolutely must follow and obey. But what we're finding is, well, let's, let's change the rules. We don't like what it says here. Let's change the functions. So this is the 21st century, right? Things are changing. You got to move with the times. No. Um, another problem that we see is, is that, you know, there are biblical standards that are clearly laid out in the scriptures. And some of those standards are actually warnings for leaders. If leadership wasn't important, if teaching wasn't important, then there would not be warnings about uh, teaching. And we see that in James 3.1. Or even the concept of causing others to stumble. Causing other people to stumble in their faith is, is a serious acquisition. And nobody is more liable than, than leaders. And so you have to be very, very careful about leading and about the people that you put in leadership. So today we're evaluating overseers, leaders in the church. And we're looking at just three simple you know, types of qualified leaders that we see in 1 Timothy 3. We see elders uh, in leadership that are qualified. We see deacons in leadership that are qualified. And we see women in leadership that are qualified. And... Won't that be fun to address? Um, well, first of all, a little quick little background. And, and as you well know, we believe in the totality of Scripture from the first page to the end. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant uh, has still has value. Uh, yes, it has been superseded by the New Covenant. Um, but we still look back and, and glean. And one of the things that we saw in the Old Testament was the Again, the quote-unquote man of God. You know, Moses didn't really have a title. Abraham, Joshua. These were just leaders of, of the people of Israel, the Hebrews that were sent by God. And they followed God. We saw prophets. These were the men who would reveal God's word. And we, we tend to think of prophets as prophetical, right? Looking to the future. But really, what they're doing is they're taking God's word and... and you know, sometimes it's looking to the future and sometimes it's just preaching God's true word. Um, we see priests. The, the, the priests in the temple had priestly duties. There was a role of a priest to be the mediator between God and man, to offer up the sacrifice on the table in the temple. 
very distinct role of, of priests and priestly duties. There was a whole tribe of, of Israel that was the Levitical priesthood. We also see kings in the Old Testament where God ordained kings and these kings were to be, again, men of, men of God. We see judges in the Old Testament. The, the judges were called to judge Israel for their sin, for their disobedience with consequences. And in the book of Judges, if you've read that, they were deadly consequences. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. It's death. And anything outside of that is just God's grace. And so every time we sin and we don't die, don't take that for granted. Be thankful. Be grateful. Be grateful that when you do die, you have the blood of Christ that can wash away your sin. And what else can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? And then we see in the New Testament this move towards these, this new type of leader. Elder, deacon, pastor. And so these leaders, just like in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17, 18, did you know one of the first things that a king was supposed to do was to read and do copybook of the Old Testament law? Why? So that the leader of Israel knew God's law. He knew God's law. I guess in a, in a sense that was your, your seminary training for the day. Right? Well, today we, we understand that any leader, any Christian leader is, is a leader of, of God's word. Not of his own merit. This isn't his business. It's not his company. Uh, I am not the head of the church. I am a servant uh, of the church. And we'll see more about that. So, big picture. First of all, remember, this is the early church. The New Testament are letters. These are, most of them are letters to specific, real churches that are struggling with understanding, okay, we, we had our our. Old Testament Hebrew Jewish beliefs. Now Jesus has come and things have changed. We went from being Jews to being Christians. Okay, so that's that's a struggle right there. Then you also have pagans who are becoming Christians, non-believers who are becoming Christians, philosophers becoming Christians. So you have all these different mindsets, ideologies that are coming to church right? And, and trying to grow in Christ. Does that sound familiar at all? That's exactly where we are today. People coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, and whether it's other religions or philosophies and, um, you know, belief systems. We all come here. And when you come here and when you want to infuse those different ideas into teaching, into leadership, well, if it's not biblical, it's going to be a problem. And so what we want to do then is follow the New Testament example, which is, okay, well, what does God say? What does God say about leadership? What does that look like? Well, praise the Lord, we have two really good um, books, 1 Timothy 3.1 and Titus 2, plus just the, the New Testament itself that we can glean understanding of leadership from. But church leaders are our first qualified elders. So back to the book, 1 Timothy 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man 
aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So church leaders are first qualified elders. Well, what's an elder? Uh, The office of overseer uh, comes from the Greek word episkopos. Episcopus. Does that sound familiar? Episcopalian, right? It's funny a lot. I don't, and I don't know why they do this, you guys. I, you know, when you're in seminary, you do all the Greek terms and stuff. It's like, why do we have to say eschatology? Why can't we just say end times? I mean, we we don't speak Greek, right? It's just a Greek translation. But it's interesting how these terms that we're familiar with. Uh, those are original language, biblical terms. So that, that's a good thing. So the office of overseers, it, it's a position. It's just, it's, it's just a position, okay? There's other positions, other titles. Uh, we see, uh, again, in, 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 in God's Word, we'll see a term like bishop, or what we, maybe you have King James Version, I think, is still, you know, says bishop. But these are elders, these are leaders, these are overseers. They're they're all the same thing. Turn with me to Titus. um, And we'll flip back and forth to Titus a couple times. But Titus 1.9. And again, this is important because they're the the overseer in in a position of an office to do what exactly? We we just read about some of their character qualifications. But but what is it that they're called to do? Titus 1.9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, that's Jews themselves, who must be silenced. Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. And for the sake of sordid gain. So, again, understand what's taking place here in church leadership. You can't have leaders who are not faithful to the word of God. That's the whole point of being a leader, is clinging to the word of God to be in accordance with the teaching. Remember, at this stage of the game, there is no Bible, right? Jesus has just lived. He's walked the face of the earth. He's been preaching. He's got disciples. He's got apostles. People have been following with them. It's the, the word of God is, is, a, is a verbal tradition at this point. Yes, they have the Old Testament scriptures, but they don't have the codified New Testament. 
And so it's really, really easy for people to deceive other people. It's really, really easy to not be of sound doctrine, to not really understand what grace means, to not really understand what is the gospel. And so it is absolutely essential that, that this office understands that. Uh, we see here again in Titus 2.1, uh, which is a little different than 1 uh, Timothy 3, older men, one of the qualifications is older men. Why older men? Why aged? Why gray-haired? Because they've been through life. They're, they're, they're not new. Um, they, they've had some life experience. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's one of the things that we see in today's society. Your most popular new preachers are usually guys who, you know, I have socks that are older than them. And one of the most beautiful things that I've been able to enjoy, and I was very blessed to go back to seminary when I was 35, was by that point I had children. So I had the experience of raising children. I had a wife. I had the experience of being married. I had been in business. I had the experience of businesses. I had done different types of ministries. All those were of great value to me as a student in seminary. Whereas some of our younger guys, I mean, they, they never had a, a, a real job. They you know, were never married. It's, marriage is a challenge. Raising children is a challenge. Managing business is a challenge. And so the older men have, have done a lot of those things. In Titus, back to Titus, Titus 1.7, we see, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. And, and that is absolutely essential for us to get our arms around. The, this leadership is servant leadership. Again, you should never think about the term w- without that being the combination. Servant leader. The leader serves. One of the traditions of uh, Calvary Church in Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith's ministry, was you, you want to preach? You want to be in leadership? Beautiful. Stack up the chairs. Start by serving. Start by get a, start on the bottom. Serve. Earn your way. Work your way up. Prove yourself faithful. Um, be a servant. A servant serves uh, in the Bible, you know, when we say servant, we're really talking about that idea of doulos, which is a slave. You are a slave to Christ. You are a slave to serve. What does that mean? Back to verse 7, it means not self-willed. This leader, this overseer, it's not about him. It's not about his vision. It's not about his plan. It's not about his will. It's about God's will. We, we just studied this a few weeks ago. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. That should be the hallmark of every servant leader. Lord, what is thy bidding? What do you want? And how do I find out the answers? Again, I go back to God's word. This is what you want. Um, it's a noble position. It's a good thing. It's a good thing, uh, back to 1 Timothy 3.1, to, to aspire to the position of, of elder, to the position of, of leadership. It's a very good thing. Well, 
before we move forward, I, I do want to address kind of one of the, the big matzo balls, which is, why does an elder have to be a man? If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fi fine work that he, that he desires to do. This is especially a major obstacle in today's culture, right? This is like one of the biggest arguments that we have uh, in universities and politics and in the church. And so let me be very clear that, you know, upholding the dignity of women in the church is absolutely essential. There, there's nowhere in the scriptures where, where you're going to see oppression uh, encouraged or emphasized. Nowhere. Uh, in fact, the Bible is, is not only full of examples, but you have to remember that this, is, this document's a 3,000-year-old document. It's way ahead of its time as far as even mentioning women of any kind of, of role whatsoever. Uh, keep that in mind. Now, the modern-day feminists would go, yeah, you, you've got like 10 examples, that's it? Okay, but put yourself in any other book and there's no example and there's oppression. So just keep that in mind. But the Bible is full of examples of strong, influential women who, who do stuff. Um, think of the book of Judges. I mean, we had a judge that was a woman. Remember, the judge was the one ordained by God to punish Israel. That's, that's a pretty, pretty big role. We see in the New Testament, you know, examples of, of people in the church. Lydia, uh, we see Anna, the prophetess. Uh, Phoebe, who's considered a deaconess or deacon in the church in Acts. Uh, Priscilla, Dorcas. I mean, we see these names of, of women doing different things within the church. But, and here's the key. But we never see them in positions of spiritual headship. They're involved, but they're not in headship. They're not in spiritual headship. Um, and, and look, think of it this way too. They're, they're, when we talk about hierarchy or headship, um, there's rules, there's guidelines. I mean, nobody thinks that a, a child should be in charge, right? Well, why? Uh, too young, not experienced. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, even though, hey, there's a lot of, you know, Kids that have done phenomenal, amazing things. Are they not smart enough? It has nothing to do with that. Um, but in God's plan, children are omitted. Uh, new believers are admitted. These are highly intelligent, respectable people who've been greatly successful in all kinds of things. But if they're new, uh, they're not accepted male or female either. Um, age is a really big thing in, 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 in the scripture. And somebody who's qualified because of their age, because of their maturity, right? When is somebody mature? When, when, is, a, when is a young boy a man? 13, that's right. Jew, Jews celebrate, you know, their bar mitzvah. 13, they're a man. Well, uh, I've been around a lot of 13-year-olds in sports and school and my own children, and they're nowhere near manhood. 18-year-olds, uh, there's a lot of things when you're 18, right? All right, you're, I'm, I'm a man now. Uh, I've been around a lot of 18-year-olds. Um, no. 21. It's got to be 21. Right? I mean, the law says 21, and they can do everything. What you find out is maturity and manhood has nothing to do with age. Right? Um, but as you get older and wiser and live life, it does help. So, 
all this to say that it, it, it's not about less honor. It's not about talent. It's not about gifts. Um, it's about God-given roles. And again, we, we went over that last week. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ, uh, the hand, the ear, the eye, the foot. Which one's more important? They're equal, right? They're equal. It's not, it, it's, it's not about superiority. It's about role. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Because this is an important thing for us to really get our arms wrapped around. Otherwise, your minds will start drifting. Why not women? Well, um, while you're turning there, I'm going to also read for you uh, 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. 9 through 15. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with all or with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. Why? For it was Adam who was created first. It was a God ordained. Then God created Adam first and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. So the reason, the why, this is a God ordained thing that happened in the garden in the beginning when God looked at Adam and he was alone. He said, this is not good. I'm going to give you a Helper, right? Somebody to help you. A help me. That's not a put down. Now, let's go to Ephesians 5, 21. And be subject to one another. So first of all, when we, start, when we look at the role of, of, of a, a man and a woman, it begins with this idea of being subject to one another. That doesn't sound like oppression. That doesn't sound like one is you know, greater than the other. Why? In the fear of Christ. We anchor this relationship in Christ, okay? Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. You're not being subject to that man, that person, that individual. You're being subject to the Lord. You're submitting to the Lord, to the Lord's plan, to God's word. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. It's a headship thing. It's a role thing. As the example then goes right back to as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Of all the different roles we could have said about Jesus here. What's pointed out is that we're to be the head of the wife as Jesus as he was the savior of the body. We understand what a savior does and what the Savior did, right? He died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. He gave himself up for the church. That, that's the man's role, is to be the Savior of the body as Christ. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. Husbands. Okay, that's a very brief description for the wives. Listen to the to the precious 
value and dignity that are given to women that the, the husband is responsible for. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Who wouldn't want to be loved like that, right? Husbands, it is your, your duty to love your wife like Christ. Amen. The biggest problem we have is we don't. And when we don't, that creates problems within the marriage relationship. Not the headship itself. It's that you're not treating your wife as Christ did. How? Again, how did he do it? Specifically, give me details. Verse 25, he gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with his word. It is our role as the head, as being responsible in the family, with wife first, then with the children, to give yourself up. But not just, you know, die for them, but but spiritually to sanctify them. The the process of sanctification is that process of, of spiritual growth, right? That goes from ground zero to absolute perfection, right? Well, we don't get there. But that's the goal. And sanctification is that process of those steps as we're growing in Christ. And so so the husband's role, my role, is to make my wife better than the way I got her. As a steward, because she's not my possession. My children are not my possession. I'm just a steward. I'm a caretaker of God's children. And I'm to, to present them back to God, cleansed, washed, sanctified. That's a big responsibility. That's a major responsibility. That's not something you take lightly. Think about it this way. The example here is Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And, and, and the idea of, of, well, that's not fair headship. It's like, I want to die on the cross for it. Do, do you really? Do you really want to be the one that dies on the cross? Do you really want to be the one that gets your face spat in, that gets beaten, that gets abused? that has the, the weight of the responsibility of, of not just provision financially, but spiritual pre- pre- provision of your family? Because that's what you're called to do. That he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be, in whole, that she should be holy and blameless. The role of the husband, don't, don't miss this, is to present his, his, his wife with no spot, no wrinkle. Men, husbands, you be careful what you lead your family to. Be very careful. You are responsible and accountable as the head of your family. And that's a lot of things. And yes, that's heavy. Verse 28, so husbands ought to also <clears throat> love their own wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. This is one of the things, if, if you listen to you know, the modern feminism, it's, it, it begins with this whole presupposition that, that a man and the patriarchy of a man is going to oppress and suppress you know, women. Beginning with his wife and his children. That's pretty harsh, right? 
But see, we're called to love our wives as our own bodies. So again, why would I treat harshly my own body bad? Why, why, why would I do that? I, I, I wouldn't. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes and cherishes. So the head, the head of, of the family, the head of, of this marriage relationship is there to nourish and to cherish and to love and to sacrifice and to, to, to die for. That's the, the picture that's being painted. Okay, It's, it's not a, a light thing of just, well, I just want to be the leader. I want to be the president. Um, and that's really, for the most part, that's the argument that we're, we're arguing today. We're taking today's mindset of, yes, there have been people, women oppressed. There have been bad husbands. There have been some, some bad examples. But see, that's not God's world. If, if you live in your home obeying Ephesians 5, I promise you, I guarantee you, you will be happy, you will be blessed, you will be fulfilled. And that's following God's law to a T. And so that's what we do. We take this now back to leadership. And in the leadership and the headship of this organization, the church, it's the man is the head of the church. And the same rules apply, the same exact rules. Not abuse, but a united team, a partnership. I would never make a decision without fully you know, going through that process with my wife. She is my teammate, my helper. It just so happens that at the end of the day, I may make a decision that's actually all on her. I'm responsible. I'm the head of the, of, the, of the family. And as in an organization, it's the same thing. Anybody who's ever been the head of an organization that, that's worth their, their, their salt has managers, has other leaders that they take in their expertise and their knowledge. When, when I was uh, heading up to school, I had seven different departments. There were some things that I knew a lot. I knew a lot about the athletic department. You know, I, I knew a lot about, you know, the academics. I knew a lot about the Bible. I didn't know anything about transportation. Okay, I wasn't a transportation expert. I wasn't a facilities expert. You know, I'm a gardening and landscaping expert. As the leader, I'm responsible for all these different departments, regardless of whether I'm actually making the decision or not. But I have to put my stamp on there as the head. Well... So what is an elder? What must they be? Back to 1 Timothy 3. Um, we see the, this list now. There, These positive qualifications, this godly character, blameless, above reproach. It's that idea that, that anybody in the room looking at that person, that's a good godly man. He's above the, the idea of reproach being being accused, being um, somebody who, who, if they looked at you, would go, wow, I've, I've got some questions about this person's character. No, he's above that. He's, he's lived a life and, and shown himself to be then this following things. A husband of one wife. He's, he's temperate, which means he's, he's a person of self-control. Self-control is a big deal. 
lot of people, well, I'm a pretty good guy, he's a great guy, he just gets crazy every now and then. Well, that's not self-control, right? Charles Manson can be self-controlled most of the time. It's those one or two times that we have to, you know, right? Well, that's, that's a big deal. Um, sober-minded. The mind has to be clear, not intoxicated. Good behavior, respectable. And, the, and these are self-evident. We're, we're just going to roll through them. Hospitable. Hospitable, welcoming to other people. Serving again, blessing others. Able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. And again, you have to go back to the context of the time. He must be able to communicate God's word. He must be able to, be able to communicate the gospel. He must be able to refute unsound doctrine. He, he must be able to handle the scriptures accurately. Okay, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not a put down if you haven't been trained in doctrine and theology, if you haven't been to Bible school and that kind of thing. That's not a put down. And you don't have to go to Bible school to be trained. But most people are going off to work every day and raising their family and they don't have time to uh, be that in depth. But an elder is able to handle and teach God's word. Be faithful to it. It's one who rules his household well. He, he, he has children. He has, you, you can't be an elder and, and have a train wreck of a family. It, it means practically speaking, well, you're, you're not able to teach and instruct your children. You're, you're not ruling your own house. Supposed to have a good testimony outside of the church. Oh, we can be great in here, right? We clean up really nice and put a coat and a tie on. But out there in the in the business community, the situational ethics hit. You know what? They cut corners. I'm going to cut corners. It's dog eat dog out there. It's the world, and I'm in it too. No, you're above reproach, especially out there. You should be able to walk down anywhere and and see somebody and for the first time they discover you're an elder of a church or pastor and they go, that makes sense. Oh yeah, I can see that. Not, whoa, you? I've seen you in sales. You, Wow, pastor? Really? That, that should never be. There's negative qualifications. Uh, not given to wine again. Not mastered by that. Right, 1 Corinthians 6 too. Not violent or pugnacious. The idea of being combative. You're not a combative person. You're not greedy for money. You're not quarrelsome. You're, you're not a covetous type of person. You're not a new believer. You're, you're not a novice. This isn't just a, a new trend. Okay, and so for this year you're a Christian. Last year you're a Buddhist. And the year after, no, it's you, you've, you're not a new believer. Why? So you don't fall into the condemnation of the devil. You're not easily deceived. So th these are the qualifications of, a, of an elder, or for lack of a better term, these are the job descriptions. I, I can't go become an IT tech when I don't know how to do IT, right? Does that make sense? I, I have to meet the qualifications. If I don't meet the qualifications, then I can't do the job. And there's no on-the-job training. It's qualifica qualifications come first. The issue is character and integrity. Character and integrity being above reproach. Well, the second leaders are qualified deacons, verses 8 through 13. 
Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Again, men, not double-tongued, not at, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gains. That idea of you know, making that cheap, easy buck, right? Or, or but, holding to the ministry, the mystery, the mystery, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Remember, Christianity was a, a, a big shocker, right? It was a big mystery. How is this, how does this Old Testament substitutionary sacrificial process work? And then here comes Jesus and he unveils the great mystery. I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the son of God. I'm the one who's going to pay the price for your sin. And all you, here's the greatest thing. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and you, by the grace of God, can be saved. Whoa! That was the great mystery, right? So the deacons can hold fast to that. Verse 10, and let, and let these also be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons, if they are but beyond reproach. Verse 12, let deacons be husbands, only one wife, good managers of their children, and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith, that is, Christ Jesus. So you see, deacons are almost the same as elders. One of the big distinctions then is going to be this issue of, of leadership, headship, and um, teaching. Okay, Deacons traditionally have more to do with serving, doing the service-oriented type of things, and elders do that as well, but then extend it to uh, some administrative leadership things and teaching as well. Uh, same things hold true. You know, you can't be double-tongued, can't be a liar, can't be addicted to wine, can't be, be greedy for money. Vital, vital roles in the church, different roles in the church. Okay, vital but different. And then finally, church leaders. Church leaders do include, include women. We see it right here in First. Uh, Timothy 3, uh, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And then turn with me to Titus 2 as we get a little bit more, more details. Titus 2, verse chapter 2, verse 3. Older women likewise also... Be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good that they may encourage the young women. The, the, the women teach the women to love their husbands, to love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God, that the word of God may not be dishonored. The, the, the role, then, is, is to point, again, to disciple as iron sharpens iron for, for the women to disciple each other and encourage them um, to do these things. Now, that's not that easy, is it? I mean, might have, you might have looked at this and said, oh, what's the big deal, you know, 200 years ago? Nowadays, if I went on the, in the middle of, the, of a college campus and said this, they'd probably stone me. And so it makes a whole lot of sense now. You know what we need in the church? We need older women 
encouraging, teaching, and instructing younger women. We need somebody out there shouting from the rooftops, hey, you know what? It's okay to stay at home and raise a family. Yes, there are other methods. There are a lot of different ways to, for family structures to work. But one of them, one option is that you, you can be a worker of the home. You can be subject to your husband. Why? That the word of God may not be dishonored. God knows better than we do how most families are going to function best. Again, I say most. Yeah, there's things that happen. People die and you've got widowers, you know, widows with three kids and they've got to work. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different exceptions to the rule, right? But, but we're looking at the standard here. And times change as far as in the epoch of your life from 20 years old of marriage to 60 year, years old of marriage, you may go, go from being at home to being at work to working at home to not working. I mean, there's all kinds of different umbrellas that, that the concept of, of, of working and not working uh, may or may not include. Go to Proverbs 31. If, if you think that women are not allowed to work, read Proverbs 31 that's written about 3,000 years ago. Okay, there's no mandate against women working, okay? But what we want to do is figure out a way, women, figure out a way to come together with other women and encourage them. Encourage them in their families. Encourage them with their husbands because husbands, unfortunately, don't always live. Ephesians 5, right? They're not always sacrificial. They're not always kind with their words. They're not always servants. And so... Part of the role of the woman is to encourage the other woman, even though that guy is not meeting up to his standards, we're still going to encourage you to follow his headship. We're still going to encourage you. Why? So that the word of God may not be dishonored. And so one of the roles of the women is to teach each other, to encourage one another. Older discipling the younger. Older discipling the younger. Same pattern that we see older men discipling younger men. The point of having organized church leadership is so that you have not only headship, but you have rule, you have order. There should be no confusion. There shouldn't be any confusion how the church functions and operates. It's laid out very clearly here in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 2 and in all the examples that you see throughout Scripture. It's really not complex. The only reason why it gets confusing and complex is when we look to the world and allow the world to challenge God. Because that's what's happening. The world is challenging God. God is saying, this is the way I've established a family. This is the way I've established a church. This is the way I've established how leadership goes. If everyone in this room is the head of the church and the leader of the church, how, how are we going to get anywhere? How are we going to... Somebody's got to be the leader. Somebody's got to put responsibility on them and other people have to help them and counsel them. That's why we have councils. That's why we have other people, not just one authoritarian dictator, right? 
It's never about that. You don't see anything like that in the scripture where there's just one person who just wills his, his, own, uh, his own self-will. In fact, it's the opposite. This is why these leaders must be committed, not to themselves, but to God's word. And one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the church is we're more committed to de- denominations or more committed to individual people than we are to the plain, simple truth of God's word. And we do this so that God's word would not be dishonored, would not be dishonored, would not be maligned or profaned. The only structure that we have that we can be confident in is this structure. Everything else, we're just winging it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you 